You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. We did talk uh, last week, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6. We talked about some of those concepts of being chosen, predestined. We said that those words aren't used, those theologies aren't used by Paul to puff up our knowledge, but instead to really reassure doubting Christians that uh, in times where we're unsure of God's love, we can be reminded that his, his choosing us, his salvation towards us uh, predates all of our best accomplishments, and then it outlasts all of our greatest failures, right? We're continuing to see some of these identity truths to remember uh, from this passage. We saw last week that every Christian has every spiritual blessing possible. Every Christian was loved before time began. Every Christian is destined for holiness. And then every Christian enjoys God as an adopted father. We're going to jump right in today to uh, Ephesians chapter 1, looking at verses uh, 7 through 10. But I did want to read to you uh, again, because I told you this is just really one long sentence in the Greek language. So we'll start reading again in verse 3. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And then our text for today, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Our summary sentence for today is that God has very intentionally designed and executed a plan that leads to the freedom of those who believe in Christ and the unification of his entire creation under the rule of Christ. God has very intentionally designed and executed a plan that leads to the freedom of those who believe in Christ and the unification of his entire creation under the rule of Christ. For our kids, salvation sets us free from sin so we can obey Jesus who is coming back to reign. As you're writing some of that down, I was challenged yesterday as I started to work through the text and really just became overwhelmed at looking back through all of these verses and just really understanding how God operates. For those of you that have a boss or a superior that you answer to, you know how important it is to know how, uh, how he operates or how she operates and the expectations that they have, right? Um, I know for me, my boss at Trinity, I know things about him. I, I know things that he desires. I also know how he operates, right? Um, it's taken some time to, to really understand him the way that I do, but there's things that I just understand about him. Um, he's the type of individual who doesn't want you to come to him with problems only. He's a guy who wants you to come with uh, potential solutions to those problems, right? Um, I had one of my staff members this week tell me that uh, some of our staff are scared to come talk to me sometimes, right? So I did like, like a little quick informal survey, I asked my staff, I said, uh, in regards to coming and talking to me, do you think I'm more like Fozzie the Bear or Lord Voldemort from Harry Potter, right? Um, am I really easy to come talk to, like one of the Muppets, or am I really hard to talk to, like some dark lord? Um, thankfully, I had more Fozzie Bears than um, Lord Voldemort's, right? 
But it's helpful to know how your boss operates. It's helpful to know uh, what he's doing and what he expects. And I really became overwhelmed looking at this text and understanding how our father operates. And so I want to kind of just walk you through some things that I think um, can encourage us this morning. Before we just get into a couple of points of application, um, we're, we're blessed with the opportunity to have another baptism. Uh, today we're going to be baptizing uh, Michael Yevick today, so we're excited about that right after our service. So I'm going to walk through this quickly and, and, and try to encourage you with what God's Word has to say. So as we look at what does, uh, or ways that God operates, looking all the way back even to verse 3, number one, He blesses, right? He's a, he's a God who blesses. He gives good to us. He blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. But number two, He's also a God who chooses, right? He chose us in Him, uh, which indicates his control, right? Things aren't just happening um, randomly. He's choosing things, right? He's the one who remains in control. Number three, he's impartial. He's impartial. He doesn't base his love towards us on our performance. Says that he chose us before the foundation of the world, before we had ever done anything good or bad. He's an impartial God. Number four, he's a God who repairs He repairs. He brings restoration. It says that he's taking us who he chose, and he's making us holy and blameless, right? He's restoring us. He's repairing us. He's fixing us. Number five, he's a God who loves. He's a God who loves. He's motivated by devotion. In love, he's done these things. Number six, he's a God who determines. He ensures our destiny. He predestines things to happen. Again, a nod to him being in control. Number seven, he's a God who embraces. He commits himself fully to us, right? We talked last week what it looked like for him to adopt us as his children, right? He's fully invested in us, fully committed to us. He embraces us. Number eight, he purposes. He has a designed plan. Uh, Things play out according to his purposes. Uh, He's planned these things, and then he carries out these plans, right? We had to to make some adjustments to our school plan this week due to some rising COVID cases, and so we had to make some changes. Uh, That doesn't make everybody happy, right? I got a couple of emails. I got one right before church started uh, where a parent reached out to me and said, you look completely unprepared, right? You have no idea what you're doing. Um, you're, You're completely unprepared, right? Which, which is not exactly the most encouraging thing to hear, right? When you stay late from work and you put together a plan and then you're told, like, you didn't do anything right, right? Um, I'm thankful, though, that we have a God who plans and carries out his purposes and those things are executed exactly how he wants them to be executed, right? No question about it. He plans and he purposes and he carries those things out. Number nine, he wills. He ensures that his plans happen. He's adopted us according to the purpose of his will. Number 10, he rescues. He rescues. He pays to obtain us. We're seeing today in verse 7 that in him we have redemption, right? He has rescued us back to him. He has paid a price to rescue us, which leads to number 11. He sacrifices. He gives of himself to us. It's through his blood, through Christ's blood that we have redemption, that we are rescued and saved back to our heavenly father. Number 12, he's a God who forgives. He reconciles with us. He forgives us. Through Christ's blood, we obtain the forgiveness of our trespasses. Number 13, 
He extends grace. He doesn't treat us as we deserve to be treated. It's according to the riches of his grace that he offers the forgiveness of our trespasses. He's generous with that grace, number 14. He goes above and beyond. It says that he lavished this grace upon us. He gives us the forgiveness. It's rooted in his grace, verse 8, which he lavished upon us. Number 15, he exercises wisdom. He does everything right. He possesses all the wisdom needed to execute a plan, to put uh, put into play a plan that flows from his infinite wisdom. He exercises that wisdom. Number 16, he exercises insight. He does everything with full knowledge. Nothing surprises him. Number 17, he reveals things to us. He shares what he is doing. It says verse 9, making known to us the mystery of his will. He doesn't keep it back from us. He makes it known to us. And what is that will? What is it that he's revealing to us? He's got reasons behind what he's doing. He has an end goal in mind. he's, He's made known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. He's got a plan in Christ. He has reasons for everything that he's doing. This mystery of his will according to his purpose set forth in Christ as a plan. And it's a plan that he carries out according to his timing, right? He considers timing, number 19. He does things when it's right. Says that he set forth this plan in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. For the fullness of time. And then number 20, his plan is designed to unite. To unite all things in him. Things in heaven, things on earth. He's bringing everything together under Christ. This is, this is who we serve. This is our father. This is our king. This is who we have chosen to follow. And this is how he operates, right? He operates from a position of love. He operates from a position of control, right? He is moving everything towards an end goal. Nothing is out of whack. Nothing is is left to chance. He has determined where the course of history is going. And so to kind of give you, what, what does this mean? Why would I give you these 20 things? Because I want you to see that none of God's plans will not be carried out. History is neither meaningless nor purposeless. Everything is moving towards his glorious goal. That's what we see in verses 3 through 10. A God who loves and a God who wills things to happen for his glory, for his purposes. We can take great comfort in that today. We can find great hope in that today as we process through events in our life, things that are happening even right now. What do do we do with those things? How do we respond to those things? We can trust that they are coming from a God who meets these 20 things that I've just listed for you. This is how he operates. This is how he does things. We can rejoice in that. Let's look specifically at the time, with the time we have remaining at our text. Starting in verse 10, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. There's a concept of freedom that's being talked about here. And so from an application standpoint, we want to live in light of this freedom. The term redemption communicates freedom. It communicates being liberated from bondage or imprisonment, right? The concept of redemption was one that was well known by those who were following Jesus at this time when this book is written because it's rooted in their understanding of 
Israel's history with Egypt, right? We know from the, the Old Testament, the book Exodus, the great redemption story of that time was Israel being set free from its bondage of slavery in Egypt, right? And God rescued them. We know the story of the Passover where the death angel comes through, the firstborn is taken, except for those who have the blood spread on the, the doorpost, right? We see in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, that Jesus is our Passover lamb, right? That Jesus is our Passover lamb. And so when we talk about redemption, we don't really celebrate Israel being let go of Egypt, right? We, we, don't, we, we don't really celebrate that anymore because we have something greater to celebrate. We have something greater to celebrate, a greater redemption story, and that's us being set free from sin. We're born into sin, and we're born with a need to be set free from it, and that's what Christ does through his work. We have been set free from our bondage to sin, those of us that are believers this morning. Romans chapter 7, verse 14 talks about us being sold under sin, right? I was sharing with our, our students at um, Trinity this week, we were talking about what it means to have a biblical worldview. Part of what it looks like to view the world through the lens of God's word is to believe that every single person is born in sin, right? We're born guilty. We're born separated from God. We're born in need of a savior, and Jesus comes and he rescues us from this state of darkness. And we'll talk more about this in Ephesians chapter 2. But he rescues us from this darkness and moves us into glorious light. I told you the book of Colossians kind of parallels a lot of what we're learning in Ephesians. So let me turn to Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. This is Paul talking about redemption in the book of Colossians. It says in verse 13, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. We've been rescued from a state of darkness. We've been moved into this glorious light, moved into his kingdom. It's through the blood of Jesus that this is accomplished. And through Jesus's blood, we're set free. First Corinthians chapter six, verse 20. It says, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have uh, from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 talks about the freedom that we enjoy. Revelation chapter 1, verse 5, it says, Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, by his blood. And this redemption that we enjoy, we enjoy it forever. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. We talked last week about how his love outlasts all of our greatest failures. We see this in Hebrews 9, verse 12, that his redemption towards us is eternal. It says, he, talking about Jesus, entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, even Matthew chapter 26, verse 28, Jesus talks about extending that cup, that wine, as a picture of his blood, of the new covenant that is our forgiveness. He redeems us. He sets us free from the law. Galatians 5.1 talks about, right? We don't have to, to feel 
in bondage to living up to a certain list of things to do to earn God's favor. We already have it, right? We have it through Christ. He sets us free from sin. Romans chapter 6 is a great chapter to look at, to enjoy, and to celebrate that freedom that comes from sin, right? God has given that to us through Jesus. He sets us free from the fear of death. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 and 15. Something that all uh, human beings worry about. How long will they live and what does death look like after they live? Hebrews 2 verse 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver to all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. He has set us free from that fear of death. He set us free from an empty life. 1 Peter chapter 1 verses 18 and 19. An empty life, a pointless life, a useless life we have been redeemed from. It says, knowing you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. We've been set free from that bondage. Number two, we've been set free from the bondage to guilt. We've been set free from a bondage to guilt. So not only are we freed from sin, so we now can live in obedience, we've been set free from the guilt that sometimes would cripple us, thinking about our past failures or even thinking about our current failures. In Exodus chapter 15, when the Egyptians are set free, or when the Israelites are set free from the Egyptians, there's a song that's played there, a song that's sung there by God's people in celebration of the delivery that's just taken place, right? One of the key lyrical points there is they celebrate the fact that their enemies have been buried in the depths of the Red Sea, right? They've been vanquished. They are now forgotten because God has covered the sea over those that held them in bondage. It's a beautiful similarity to what we see in the book of Micah chapter 7. We weren't in bondage to the Egyptians. We were in bondage to sin, right? And so we've been redeemed from that And look at what God does to our former master. It says, um, he will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depths of the sea. God does to sin what he did to the Egyptians, right? And the Israelites celebrated the fact that who we were in bondage to has been buried at the bottom of the sea we too can celebrate today that the sin that we were in bondage to has been, di- has been buried as well at the bottom of a sea. It's been forgotten. He keeps no wrongs of our records now. Psalms 133-4 says that if, if you did keep record of our wrongs, no man could stand before you. And if you're an unbeliever, your wrongs are still being kept record of, right? Because Romans 3 says that every mouth will be stopped when it stands before God. Every human being will be found guilty before God except those who were found to be in Christ, right? Psalm 130 says, if you keep record of wrong, no man can stand, but you don't keep records of our wrong any longer. We've been set free from it. He removes sin from the east, far as the east is from the west. Psalm 103, verse 12. He blots out our transgressions, Isaiah 44, 22. He forgets our sins, Jeremiah 31, 34. And according to 1 John 1, 9, we can keep coming to him and he will keep forgiving us. Right? When we find ourselves mired in sin, we come to him realizing that his love, his love outlasts it. Right? 
He's faithful to forgive us of our sins as we come faithfully confessing them to him. We need to live in light of this freedom. We don't live in guilt. We live in the freedom that we have been set free from sin. And number two, we live in light of his plan. We live in light of his plan, this plan that's been communicated to us, this mystery that has been revealed to us. Back in Ephesians, we're set free We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. We've been forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. He's lavished that upon us in all wisdom and insight. And then He's made known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. What He's done here is He's informed us of where history is headed. We've been informed of where history is headed. Uh, It's centered on the Redeemer, on the glory of the Redeemer, right? What God is telling us here is that everything in history has to be filtered to the fact that he is bringing everything in subjection to Christ. So everything that we experience, even in our own personal history, is moving creation forward to this great point where it's united under Christ. And it will happen in his timing, in the fullness of time. Right? History is going somewhere. History has purpose. The events that we encounter this week, they have purpose and they are moving everything towards this direction. He's made it known to us. He's set it forth. It's an eternal plan that's being revealed. A new order is coming. Revelation chapter 5 gives us some insight into what that looks like. A future picture of everything being united under Christ. In Revelation chapter 5 verse 9 They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed or redeemed people for God from every tribe, every language, people, and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priest to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Everything's being united under the rule of Christ. Everything in heaven and on earth is coming in subjection to him, right? We long for this. We wait for this. Romans chapter eight talks about how all creation is groaning for this, right? That biblical worldview piece, again, going back to it, we look around and we don't see the world falling apart around us and and assume then that God must not be in control, right? We see it as a result of sin, right? We know that this world has fallen. We know that the things that we experience is a result of sin and fallenness, right? The reason that we're even touched by death, the reasons that we have to experience the grief of death is because of sin. It's not because of God's lack of love or God's lack of control. It's the outflowing of sin, now, as believers, we don't grieve as those who have no hope, right? right? We're still touched by death. We don't want to grieve the same way as someone who doesn't have faith in Christ. As believers, we know we're going to be united once again with those individuals. There's coming a day where we will see once again those who have gone before us. So we don't grieve the same way, right? We see and understand that everything is moving us to this day when, when we'll be united together with him. 
And leading up to that, we look foolish as believers living the ways that we do, right? We look foolish. Uh, you know, a, a lost person would see these numbers uh, of, of dollars that are being given away and would say, that's foolishness. In a year where there was so much uncertainty, where you didn't know if you were going to keep your job or not, where you didn't know if life would continue as is or not, right? For you to give away so much money, that doesn't make sense. That's foolishness, all right? I love that scene um, in The Count of Monte Cristo. I don't know how many of you have seen that movie before. It's, it's older now. Um, remember I told you I, I date myself now in ways that I didn't expect to be dating myself. Um, Count of Monte Cristo. Uh, there, there's a scene at the beginning of the movie where there's uh, tension about whether or not the people there in France should be yielding themselves to the new regime or should be waiting for Napoleon to escape from uh, exile, right? And there's a guy there who comes in and rebukes his dad because his dad is trying to work to get Napoleon set free. And the dad responds and says, you're calling me a traitor, but being a traitor is really a matter of dates. When Napoleon shows back up, I'm going to be the patriot and you're going to be the traitor, right? So I, I kind of flip that in the mind of a Christian. We look foolish now, right? Everything looks foolish that we do to the world. But when Jesus shows back up, we're on the other side of foolishness, right? We are shown to be the ones submitted to the king who will rule and reign for eternity. And the only thing that is foolish will be those who fail to yield and submit to that, right? It's all a matter of perspective. We look foolish now, but there's coming a day and we put our great hope and faith in this day. There is coming a day when Jesus will rule and reign God has said everything in history is moving towards this. Everything in history points to this plan, this purpose. And, and we, can, we can find hope in that today because all these things that I'm listening to you at the beginning of this sermon, this is how he operates, right? He operates out of control. He operates out of love. He is moving things for his purposes. And number two, we've been invited to participate in those purposes now. It's not something that we just simply wait for in the future we operate under these purposes now. We seek to live a life of unity now, a life unified with him, and then a life seeking to unify others with him as well. We talked, we've talked a lot over the past couple of months about our purpose as a Christian being to be salt and light in our community, right? Our workplace, our neighborhood, our families, we're salt and light, right? We, we try to bring unity to situations. We try to bring clarity to situations. We make people aware of who Christ is. We make people aware that Christ is coming back, right? And we seek to treat others the way that we want to be treated so that we mirror, so we image what it looks like to put our faith and trust in his provision. First Thessalonians chapter four, I think reflects this well. It says, finally then brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, right? We're seeing in Ephesians 1, his will, his plan is to unite everything under Christ. His will for us right now is to live that out, to be sanctified, to be holy, to be blameless. It says that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter because the Lord is an avenger in all these things. As we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, 
but in holiness, right? We're destined to be holy. We're destined to be blameless. Therefore, whoever disregards this disregards not man, but God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing in all the brothers through Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, to aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders, be dependent on no one, right? To live this life of unity and to draw other people to live unified with Christ. And then he goes on to talk about Jesus coming back at the end of chapter four, uh, chapter four that we're informed He says, I don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. I want you to be informed. This is where we are headed. And he talks about Jesus coming back and he's bringing those with him from heaven, right? Because our passage in Ephesians says, everything in heaven, everything on earth, in subjection to him, united with him. 1 Thessalonians 4 says he's bringing our loved ones with us. We're gonna be united with him and we're gonna be together for all eternity. There's some key identity truths to remember from this this section today. We've been trying to do this in every sermon, giving you these identity truths to hang on to. Every Christian's been set free from sin. Every Christian has been forgiven. Every Christian has received God's grace. And every Christian knows God's will, right? Sometimes we get caught up in the fact that we say things like, we don't know what God's will is for our life. And yet we do because he's told us, right? His will for our life is to be sanctified, to move towards holiness and blamelessness, right? His will is to bring everything in this earth in subjection to Christ, to unite all things in him. And so we can live that out faithfully as we hang ourselves on these identity truths. Now, I recommended that movie to you, Overcomer. Um, I don't know how many of you have been able to watch it yet, but let me, let me encourage you to watch it because it ties in so well with what we're studying here in Ephesians because there's a scene there where um, this guy asks another guy who he is. And he begins to list like your typical things off. I'm a basketball coach. I'm a husband. I'm a father. And the guy challenges him and says, well, then who are you if those things are taken away? Like if your basketball season is canceled or all your players move out of district or if, you're, if your wife were, God forbid, to be taken from you or your kids were to be taken from you and you're no longer a husband, you're no longer a father, you're no longer a basketball coach, who are you? Right? And eventually the, the believer gets around to talking about his identity in Christ and the guy challenges him and says, those are to be the things that are most true about you, right? Not, the, not the, the afterthought after all these other things have been identifying you. He says, when you find identity in these other things, man, you're wishy-washy because those things can be taken from you. These are the things that God says about us. These are the things that are true about us, that identify us, that we're set free from sin, that we're forgiven. We've received God's grace and we know God's will, right? And so as application for us this week, things that I want us to be thinking through, I know I went through all this really fast and, and I felt like we needed to because of other things that we had to do today. I want you to process these two questions as we leave. Number one, are you letting yourself be defined by the truths we are seeing in this chapter? Right? Are you living in light of what this chapter is saying about you? That you've been chosen and given every spiritual blessing, that you've been adopted into his family that he's in control of your life, he's predestined it, he's chosen it for his glory, that he's forgiven you, he's redeemed you and set you free to be something more than what this world would say for you. Are you letting yourself be defined by these truths? And number two, are you regularly processing events in your life through the lens of how God operates? 
things that are going to happen to you this week? Are you processing those events through that list of 20 things that I gave you, that he blesses, he chooses, he's impartial, he repairs, he loves, he determines, he embraces, he purposes, he wills, he rescues, he sacrifices, he forgives, he extends grace, he's generous, he exercises wisdom, insight, he reveals, he has reasons and he has timing. And he unites. And everything in our life needs to be viewed through that lens, especially those undesirable circumstances that would cause us to question God. I put there, do you question him with doubt or wonder? We talked about this, I forget how long ago. But do we question God and do we say, God, what are you doing? Do we question him and say, God, what are you doing? Because you're doing something. I had a a staff member who walked out of um, the office on Friday and and she's she's had a, a really difficult life, a really difficult situation after situation, right? And she was in a, um, a car wreck earlier this year and had to miss a lot of extended time and used up all of her PTO and um, had just gotten back to work and was walking out and wasn't feeling well, right? And was sick and had to go to the doctor and um, tested positive, right? Before she left, I, mean, I could tell she was, just, she was just overwhelmed with what's going on in her life. And, and I, just, I just told her, I said, I mean, God's doing something, right? I don't know what he's doing, but he's doing something because I believe this is how he operates, right? He doesn't operate where things are out of control. He operates in a setting where things are always in his control and he's operating out of love and purpose, right? So we can believe that even when things come our way that aren't the things that we would have chosen, right? We can believe that he operates this way. And so we process events that way. We can question him, but we question him with a desire to explore how he is working, not questioning him, wondering if he is working. There's a difference. There's a difference. We can question God, but it's a matter of how we question him, the perspective that we have. God, I'm asking, how are you working in this? Because I fully believe that you are. Versus us questioning him and saying, God, I don't know if you're working in this at all or not. One is out of wonder. One is out of doubt. Let me encourage you to question him with wonder because you believe you know how he operates because God has said it to you, all right? Man, we're excited to, to be able to continue our worship here in just a minute. We're going to go outside. Tyson's going to come and sing for us. And then we're going to go and we're going to have the opportunity to participate in a baptism because we have one in our church who has been transferred from darkness to light, right? And we're going to celebrate that new life that he enjoys. All these things that are identity truths for us are now identity truths for him. And so we're going to celebrate that together today. Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you for the ways that you're at work in our life, even in ways and times when we don't understand. God, we're thankful that we can trust that we know how you operate because you've revealed it to us. And so we find great hope and encouragement in that today. God, help us to to cling to these identity truths that we see in your word, to believe these things about ourselves because you have spoken them and you have declared them and we know them to be true. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.